Welcome to the Come Follow Me podcast for teens and for parents of teens, a podcast to supplement your weekly study of the Come Follow Me curriculum with thoughts, ideas, principles, stories, and questions all geared towards helping teenagers better follow Christ through their teenage years. Hey everybody, welcome to another week of the Come Follow Me podcast for teens. I'm Josh Downs and today's episode is episode 24. We're going to be taking a look at John chapters 14 through 17, Continue Ye in My Love. And uh, I really love these chapters. I mean, gosh, it's hard not to love all of the, the New Testament, especially the life of Christ. But these ones are extra special because, well, they really contain some of the final moments and some of the final teachings of the Savior before his life comes to an end. Um, you know, and I think it's worth maybe starting out with that kind of perspective ourselves, trying to imagine, you know, what, what would you do uh, or I do if we knew that our time on earth was coming to an end, that it was quickly approaching? What would we do? How would we spend that time? Uh, what would you say to those in your life? It's interesting, but death really has a way of reminding all of us what is most important in life. And it's often those things that get pushed to the side for things of significantly less importance. Well, these final lessons of Christ's teaching are one that we definitely want to pay attention to because in many ways they are his most important ones. As he knew his time was coming to an end, these are the things that he chose to say and to teach before he was gone. Uh, just to set up the, the context surrounding the material this week, um, straight from the, the curriculum, today we call it the Last Supper. But we don't know if Jesus' disciples fully realized when they gathered for the annual Passover feast that this would be their last meal with their master before his death. Jesus, however, knew that his hour was come. He would soon face the suffering of Gethsemane, the betrayal and denial of his closest friends, and an agonizing death on the cross. Yet even with all of this looming before him, Jesus' focus was not on himself, but on his disciples. What would they need to know in the days and years ahead? Jesus' tender teachings in John chapters 14 through 7 that we'll look at today reveal how he feels about his disciples then and now. Among the many comforting truths he shared was the reassurance that, in one sense, he will never leave us. As he said, if you keep my commandments, he promised, you shall abide in my love. Just a, a great start and some great context surrounding these chapters. There's so much for you to learn and, and to understand in here. These are one of the chapters in my scriptures that over the years have almost entirely become marked red because there's just so many great principles and truths. So it's very hard to pick three to focus on this week, but that's what I've tried to do. And the first principle that I want to take a look at uh, today is in John chapter uh, 14, verses 15, 21, and 24. And I just want to read these verses because in these verses, he really captures the essence of what love is all about. And I, this is very important, especially for you young people, to come to understand about love because the messages that you are getting about love are very different than what the Savior is teaching here. And if you want to have the best experiences with love in your life and with relationships, not only with God, but with others as well, then you need to understand this principle. In verse 15, regarding love, he teaches, If ye love me, keep my commandments. And then in verses 21 through 24, 
he expounds a little bit on the relationship between loving him and keeping his commandments. Verse 21, he says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Judah saith unto him, Not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us, and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. And then he concludes by saying, And he that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings. Now did you listen carefully enough to to catch the relationship between love and action? There are just so many misconceptions about love and what it really is out there. If we believe in what Hollywood teaches about love, then we conclude that love is just all about sex and intimacy. But that isn't love. Love doesn't take from another person. It gives. That is why intimacy and sex is reserved for marriage. It gives you time to get to know each other enough that intimacy at that point, if there is true love, becomes more about giving than it is about taking. You move too fast and it's all about taking. It's not about giving. The Savior is trying to teach them that love is best spoken through actions. That if we truly love Him or anyone else, it will be seen in what we do how we follow him, and in keeping his commandments. This isn't just a lesson again about love for him, but it is a lesson about what love should look like with anyone. If you want to know if somebody truly loves you, watch for what they do. I remember a poem that my mother shared with me while I was young that's really always stayed with me, and it's helped me to understand the importance of showing our love in what we do more than what we say. And it really helped me to kind of contemplate the way that I express love to others. The poem is titled, Which Love Best? by Joy Allison. And it goes like this. I love you, mother, said little John. Then, forgetting his work, his cap went on, and he was off to the garden swing, leaving his mother the wood to bring. I love you, mother, said Rosie Nell. I love you more than tongue can tell. Then she teased and pouted full half the day till her mother was glad when she went to play. I love you, mother, said little fan. Today I'll help you all I can. How glad I am that school doesn't keep. And she rocked the babe till he fell asleep. Then stepping softly, she took the broom and swept the floor and dusted the room. Busy and happy all day was she, helpful and happy as a child could be. I love you, mother, again they said, three little children going to bed. How do you think their mother guessed which of them really loved her best? Oh, I love that poem. My mom was an absolute genius to share that with me as a young person because I did not want to be either of those first two kids, although I'm sure many times I was. It's always so easy, isn't it, to say that we love somebody, but then we let those most important things go that really show that love. Well, she knew what she was doing, and, and that poem always inspired me whenever I thought of it and remembered it to try to do those things that best showed that I love my mother. And, and that has attributed to just about every other relationship in my life. A while back, I remember having a particular hard day at work and was heading home to clean my house, which was just an absolute mess. This was after I had been divorced. And as a single parent, it's hard. It really is hard to stay on top of things like the house when you're also trying to work and provide for your family. I remember I came home that day and to my surprise, the house had been completely cleaned. The dishes were done, things were put away, the the bathrooms were clean, the floors were swept. 
before my daughters went to their mom's that day while I was gone, they had taken the time to clean the house and surprise me with it being done. They just left me a little note telling me how much they love me and thank you for all I did for them. I still have that note. I love that note. But what they did for me that day spoke volumes about the love that was expressed in that note. It was one of the best surprises and gifts that I had been given, and they've done several of those kinds of things since. President Thomas S. Monson taught once that love is the very essence of the gospel, and that once we understand with our mind and heart, once we declare our love for God and for our fellow men, then what? Is feeling compassion and love for others enough, or even just expressing it in word? He then asked the question, does declaring our love for God and our neighbor satisfy our obligation to God? And then he tells of the parable of the two sons, where at the temple in Jerusalem, the chief priests and elders of the Jews approached Jesus to trap him in his words as they loved to do. The Savior, however, turned the tables on them by telling them a story. He said, a certain man had two sons. The father went to the first and asked him to go to work in the vineyard, but the son refused. Later, that son repented and went. The father then went to his second son and asked him to go to work in the vineyard. And the second son assured him that he would go, but he never went. (laughs) Then the Savior turned to the priests and elders and asked, Which one of these two sons did the will of his father? They had to admit that it was the first son, the one who said he would not go, but later repented and went to work in the vineyard. The Savior used the story to emphasize an important principle. It is those who obey the commandments of God who truly love God. And I wanted to start out today with this principle because, again, I just feel it's so important for you young people to understand because you're in the mode of finding love in so many different places, whether it's just among your friends or your family or romantic love and dating and one day hoping to find somebody that you can marry and to understand this aspect of love will help to counteract all the false messages that are being shared with you in the world about what it is and what it looks like, because that is not true love. Love is always and will always be best expressed, not just through word, but through action. You want to know how much your friends love you? Watch what they do for you. You'll be able to tell which of your friends are going to be your best friends. You want to know who loves you really the best? Watch your parents and all the things that they do for you day in and day out. Look for your siblings and the things that they do for you. Or find ways to express your love to them. Let them know through action, not just word, how much they mean to you as well. And then above all else, and when the time comes for you to, again, date and pursue marriage in the right time and the right way, look carefully, not just for what people say, but for what they do and how they do it. Those actions will speak volumes about their capacity and their ability to love you. And then, of course, as it relates to your relationship with your Heavenly Father, He's done more for you than you can possibly imagine. And the more you look for those things, the more you will recognize just how much He loves you. And then come to understand that the best way for you to express your love for Him is to do the things that He asks you to do, to keep His commandments, to live the gospel, to follow Him, to trust Him, to obey Him, and then to share His love with others. So a couple great questions, I think, for you to consider in in relation to to this principle. I'm going to give you a bunch of them kind of in rapid-fire succession because I think they're all good. But one is would be, who do you love the most in your life? And then as a follow-up question to that, how do they know that you love them? How do you show that you love them? What evidence is there that those that you love really love you? 
How do you know your mom loves you? How do you know your father loves you? How do you know your siblings love you? How do you know your friends love you? How do you know that God loves you? How do you know that Christ loves you? What actions have shown this love? How do each of these know that you love them? Why is action more important than words when it comes to expressing love? What can you do to better express your love for those that you love? Who is one person that comes to mind for you that needs your love to be more expressed through actions than words? And hopefully some of those questions spur some thoughts about love and relationships and about your personal relationship with Heavenly Father. The second principle we want to take a look at is in John 14, verses 1 and 25 through 27. Let's start, first of all, with verse 1. Again, the Savior knowing what is coming and how much time he has left and how relatively short it is and what his uh, disciples will be facing without him. I love, love, love these scriptures that he gives and absolutely would encourage you to mark them. Verse 1, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. And then in verses 25 through 27, he says, These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Oh, there have been so many times in my life where I have needed to hear and to remember those words. And I know in your life there has been as well. Over the course of my life, I've been troubled about many things and by many things. I've had girls that have broken my heart. Um, I struggled to know where I was going to go to school. I've had friends that seemed to turn on me or just leave me behind. The, the pressure to succeed at work or at school or just at life in general. I got married much later in life, which was very difficult. Uh, going through divorce was very troubling. There have been periods in my life where I, I went through a difficult job loss, where I've struggled to be a good father, uh, struggled overcoming temptation and even addiction, and most recently, just simply believing in myself and that I could succeed in what it was that I was endeavoring to do. Feeling like I was good enough has always been a struggle. And I know it's been a struggle for many of you as well. And many of you still struggle with that today, which again is why I love these verses of Scripture so, so much. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. How many of you listening would love to not have a troubled heart and to not be afraid? In all the years they taught seminary, I watched firsthand the rise of anxiety among young people. I know how often you struggle with feelings of fear and being afraid and not good enough. Let me share with you a few examples of individuals from Scripture who felt similar things and how they found solutions to their troubled hearts. In Alma chapter 17, verse 10, there was a group of missionaries known as the Sons of Mosiah. They were going to preach to the Lamanites. And while that sounds simple enough on paper, just try to imagine exactly what it was that they were trying to undertake. The Lamanites had, as the Scriptures described, an eternal hatred for the Nephites. They were bloodthirsty, they were ferocious, they wore nothing but just skins girdled about their loins. They were absolutely a degenerate people that very easily could have seen any of these missionaries and just put them to death instantly, killed them instantly because of that hatred. I can only imagine how afraid, how much anxiety they felt in going about doing this and performing this mission. 
Yet, despite those fears and anxieties, verse 10 reads, And it came to pass that the Lord did visit them with his spirit and said unto them, Be comforted. And they were comforted. Elder Bednar references another example in the Book of Mormon where fears were hushed because of faith in God. He said, In the land of Helam, Alma's people were frightened by an advancing Lamanite army. But Alma went forth and stood among them and exhorted them that they should not be frightened, but should remember the Lord their God, and he would deliver them. Therefore they hushed their fears. He said, Notice Alma did not hush the people's fears. Rather, Alma counseled the believers to remember the Lord and the deliverance only he could bestow. And knowledge of the Savior's protecting watch care enabled the people to hush their own fears. Correct knowledge of and faith in the Lord empower us to hush our fears because of Jesus Christ and because he is the only source of enduring peace. As he declared, learn of me and listen to my words, walk in the meekness of my spirit and you shall have peace in me. The master also explained, he who doeth the works of righteousness shall receive his reward, even peace in this world and eternal life in the world to come. Boy, can you see a relationship between these two principles already? Could it be that one of the reasons God wants us to to show our love to him through action and keeping his commandments is because of the peace that he knows it will bring to us? He that doeth the works of righteousness shall receive his reward, even peace in this world and eternal life in the world to come. Jesus is teaching his disciples before he departs in this chapter the relationship that exists between having the Spirit and not being troubled or afraid. Moroni teaches the opposite relationship that exists when it comes to despair and not having the Spirit. When he said in Moroni chapter 10, verse 22, If ye have no hope, ye must needs be in despair, and despair cometh because of iniquity. In other words, sin is what drives the Spirit away and is what brings greater and greater fear and anxiety into our life, while repentance is what brings it back and helps us to lose that fear and to lose that anxiety and to approach life with greater confidence because we know God is with us. When we express our love for the Lord by doing what He asks, we experience greater peace in life and less fear. We know that we are living in a way that is pleasing to God, and therefore we qualify to have Him with us. And I can't imagine having any more confidence than what would come from knowing that God is with us. So young people, listen carefully to this statement from President Howard W. Hunter as it relates to not having a troubled heart and dealing with the anxieties of life. He said, if our lives and our faith are centered on Jesus Christ and his restored gospel, nothing can ever go permanently wrong. On the other hand, if our lives are not centered on the Savior and his teachings, no other success can ever be permanently right. Isn't that a beautiful statement? President Nielsen recently, most recently, has really emphasized the need, the absolute need for every single one of us to keep the Spirit with us. He said, In coming days, it will not be possible to survive spiritually without the guiding, directing, comforting, and constant influence of the Holy Ghost. This is no question as to why the Savior chose to teach his disciples about the Spirit before he left because he knew how much they would need to rely on it and how critical it would be for them to have it. Currently in my own life, I'm facing a lot of fear of the unknown, having uh, starting a new career and 
trying to build a new business. That's just where I'm at. And I'm facing all kinds of doubts and uncertainty in the place where I am. And it's caused me to very easily have a troubled heart. Many of you may be experiencing this in different aspects of your own life, but I've noticed personally that as long as the Spirit is with me and I've done those things to express my love to Heavenly Father, which has then allowed the Spirit to stay better with me, that I'm not anywhere near as afraid and that I have more peace, especially in relation to those things that I just don't know or that I just can't see or that I just don't understand how they can work out. In your life, you will face a lot of uncertainty and experience countless ways in which you can experience fear in a troubled heart. The answer for you is the same as as it's been for me, the same as it was for the sons of Mosiah facing their missions to the Lamanites, the same as it was for the Nephites facing war, or Christ's apostles facing a life without him and trying to understand how to build up his church without him being present. It is his spirit, which is why it is so important that we always have his spirit to be with us, just like the sacrament prayer says. In February of 1847, the prophet Joseph Smith appeared to Brigham Young in a dream or a vision, and President Young asked the prophet if he had a message for the brethren, to which the prophet Joseph replied, Tell the people to be humble and faithful, and be sure to keep the Spirit of the Lord, and it will lead them right. Of all the messages that the prophet could deliver, it was that one. Tell the people to be sure to keep the Spirit of the Lord. That's the essence of not having a troubled heart. So a couple of key questions. What are some of the things in your life that have caused you to feel troubled over or about? How have you been able to find greater peace through Christ in facing them? Maybe what has been a favorite scripture or gospel truth or story that has helped you to find peace during troubling times? How has the Spirit helped to comfort you when you have felt fear or anxiety? Can you think of a specific time that this has happened for you? What things have you done that have best invited the Spirit to be in your life to help you to not have such a troubled heart? And then maybe lastly, how is fear so destructive to faith? Now, for the last principle today, um, I really love this one as well. And we're going to go in John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8, and take a look at what I consider to be one of the most important principles of all. And he teaches it in kind of a metaphorical way. In verse 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit... He purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing." If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered, and and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, and so shall ye be my disciples. 
Now, there's a lot in that. I'd invite you to read it yourself personally and come to try to understand what the Savior is teaching you about him being divine and you being a branch and the importance of being connected to him. A while back, I was hiking in the Grand Canyon with some friends, and one of the guys that I was with, I remember he thought it would be funny to jump up and and try to hang from one of the branches of a tree that we were passing just to get a a picture of it, probably for social media or something, right? Uh, But he didn't want to just hang from it by his hands, but he wanted apparently to hang from it, not with his, his hands and his legs completely wrapped around it as well. So he jumped up with the intent of basically wrapping his whole body around this branch. Well, having spent a lot of time in the outdoors, I was able to clearly identify something that was very wrong about that branch and tree, and that was that it was clearly dead. And I knew exactly what would happen if he tried to do what he was going to try to do, but before I could say anything, he jumped up and wrapped himself around that branch, and instantly there was a loud crack, and both he and the branch came falling to the ground, and he just landed smack on his back. A dead tree has dead branches, and dead branches cannot hold much and certainly are not very strong. All along our hike, there were a lot of broken dead branches along the canyon floor, and in many ways, they're all reminders of what happens when they get disconnected from their source of life, disconnected from the tree itself. On the other hand, have you ever tried to break a branch that was still alive, that was still connected, or just maybe it recently disconnected from you know, its source? It is so flexible and so strong and is so hard to break that you really can't do it unless it dies. In many ways, this is what the Savior, I think, is trying to teach in these verses. Only he refers to himself as the true vine, the source of life. And he points out what will happen to all those who disconnect from him. As long as we're connected to him, there is life, there is help, and there is hope. And if you need examples of what happens to a a person or civilization that disconnects themselves from Christ, just look at the scriptures. There is story after story of what happens to those who are connected to God and Christ and those that are not. How those that are are delivered and they're protected and preserved and blessed and prospered. And those that are not, they are left to themselves and they suffer and they go through immense trial and difficulty and things don't work out as well for them. As a whole, look at what happened to, as an example, the Jaredite civilization or the Nephite civilization, or in a lot of ways, what is happening even to our own civilization. The less connected we are to God, the less connected we are to everything that makes life worth living and that will sustain us through both the good and the bad. Now, I know some of you can easily say, and I remember thinking myself, especially when I was younger and sometimes still do as an adult, that, oh yeah, well, if that's so true, then why can is this person or that person or this organization or that organization, why do they seem to be flourishing so, so much and so well? Why do they seem to be making so much money or having so much fun or doing so many great things? And I'm not, right? And I'm trying to live the gospel and things aren't coming to me in that way or I'm not experiencing that kind of life. It sure looks like they are living a, a much better and more exciting, fulfilled life than what I am. Well, yes, at times there will be that appearance. I absolutely acknowledge that. I have thought that myself. But you know what? (laughs) You watch just long enough. 
those kinds of individuals, organizations that seem to be living against God and disconnected from Him, it's only a matter of time before things start to fall apart. I promise you will see that statement from President Hunter fulfilled in multiple ways, especially in those kinds of situations. Remember what he said, if our lives and our faith are centered upon Jesus Christ and his restored gospel, if we are connected to him, nothing can ever permanently go wrong. On the other hand, if our lives are not centered on the Savior and his teachings, doesn't mean that there won't be success or there won't be uh, potential temporary happiness. But as he says, no other success can ever be permanently right. That happiness will not permanently last. One of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis is when he said that the sad history of man is simply trying to find happiness apart from God, which he says is not possible because it does not exist without him. Now, granted, life is not easy. It was never meant to be. And the process of growing and changing and improving and being tested can at times be a painful one. But listen to the way that Christ describes our growth in another verse in these chapters, John chapter 16, verse 21. Using another metaphor, he refers to our personal growth and development as if giving birth. (laughs) He says in verse 21, A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for the joy that a man is born unto the world. Yes, the way ahead is going to be very hard. It will be very challenging at times. There will be times of of great pain. But his promise is that it will not last forever. And when we are delivered, when we are through it, when we have overcome it, we'll remember it no more because of the joy that we will feel from the the growth, from the experience, from the the newness of life that we have developed through that process. One of the great verses we'll kind of end with is in verse 33 of John 16. When he says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I don't know that there's a verse in scripture that could give much more hope than that one can. The Savior wants us to know that there is always hope and that he is always with us, no matter how hard the way or how big the struggle or the challenge that's in front of us. And that the more we stay connected to him, the more that he'll be able to help us through it all. And that in Christ we can have peace and have reason to be of good cheer because he has overcome it all. He has overcome the world. Now, one last thought for you young people. I think this is an important one. I just want to take a moment to point this out. I'm going to ask you a question. How do you think this all relates to the word of wisdom? (laughs) One of the things that I have learned over the course of my life and that has been taught very clearly is that one of the quickest ways to disconnect ourselves from God, to lose that connection, is through the different things that we could potentially take into our bodies that are not good and not healthy for us. That there is such a close relationship between the way that we feel physically and the the connection that we have with God spiritually. Which is why I really believe one of the blessings that the Savior and the Lord points out when it comes to the word of wisdom is that we will have health in the navel. 
Now, I've often thought about what in the world does that mean? I struggle with that as a young person. Does that mean that I'll have a healthy belly button? I don't know that I really care about having a healthy belly button. I don't think he's talking about having six packs or anything like that. But a healthy navel, what does that mean? Well, I believe that Lord isn't talking about what is there, but what was there. What is the significance of the navel and of the belly and of the belly button? What is the significance of all that? And if you look back from the, the time you were first being born and developed, right? Again, the Savior using birth as a metaphor for growth and development. It was the navel that was the place where we were connected initially to our mother. And that connection is what brought life and, and provided all the strength and energy and nutrients that we needed to, to sustain our life, to sustain our growth and development. Can you see why the word of wisdom, one of the great blessings that will come to you and I as we live it is health in the navel. As we avoid all the addictive substances that are out there, we will have a better connection spiritually with God, a connection that will provide greater life, greater peace, greater growth, and greater development, just like it did while we were in the womb. Now, hopefully that's been helpful to you guys. A few questions for you to consider about that last principle. Number one is who has been a living testimony to you of finding a more rich and full life in Christ and in being connected to him? And then on the flip side, who have you seen that has in many ways withered away or become weak and has seemed to find less joy in life because they chose to disconnect themselves from God and Christ? I am confident that you can see both examples in your life if you look for them. Third question, how has Christ given you strength to face life's challenges? How have you felt when you have been disconnected from God? And how have you been able to tell a difference between those times when you had his spirit with you and were connected to him and those times when you didn't? And in what ways have you been able to best stay connected to God? Oh, those are some good questions, young people, for you to answer, for you to reflect on and for you to learn from. Again, I hope this has been helpful to you. I hope that this week you will find some amazing truths, principles, and doctrines that can help you feel more connected with God and and help you to build a, a better self and a better life as you choose to follow Him. And if you like this podcast, just as a reminder, I have another one called The Drive. If you just look for The Drive with Josh Downs, you'll find that that is also a weekly podcast, but it's one that's focused a little bit more on personal growth and development, yet certainly has faith-based components. I think you'll really enjoy that one as well. As always, please remember that that person is greatest and most blessed and joyful, whose life most closely approaches the pattern of the Christ. This has nothing to do with earthly wealth, power, and prestige. The only true test of greatness, blessedness, joyfulness is how close a life can come to being like the Master Jesus Christ. He is the right way, the full truth, and the abundant life. And he invites us all to come follow me. So what do you say we follow him better this week and become better as we follow him? Until next week, everyone, I'm Josh Downs, and you've been listening to Come Follow Me for Teens.